Well, good morning. And happy New Year's to the New Year's Day elect. It's a theological joke. <laughs> Tried. Amen. No happy New Year's to anyone who was wishing me harm on Wednesday evening during the Arkansas-Kansas game. There's no happy New Year's to you all. But in all seriousness, uh, it's good to be together. I love First Sundays when we get to gather with all of our fellowships together. And what better way to ring in the new year than to gather together to worship Jesus, right? This is what we want to spend 2023 doing, and this is what we get to start doing. So I went a little high there. I'm thankful for that. Uh, so it, it's our practice as a pastoral team to set aside the first two weeks of the year to kind of remind ourselves of some foundational spiritual disciplines that are key to our health and our growth, our spiritual health and our spiritual growth as we start this new year. This week I'll be focusing on prayer, and next week we'll get to hear from Pastor Andy on the Word. And there are many spiritual disciplines, rhythms, habits, whatever your choice of word is, it's okay, that we could focus on and that are good. But through God's revelation in Scripture and through church history, it's clear that, that prayer and the Word are really the structural walls of the spiritual house that God is building us into. If they are absent from your life, then, then your spiritual life will crumble. So we think these two, the pr prayer and the Word, are so important that we want to dedicate the first two weeks of the year to them annually. So we do the, we'll do this today and next week before we jump into our first sermon series of the year. But let me pray as it's uh, appropriate this morning before we start. Father, as we begin this time in the Word, we know that we come needy. Lord, we come in need of you. We come in need of renewal and revival. And your Word says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Would you revive us in this moment? Lord, we are a people of unclean lips. Among a people of unclean lips, would you touch us, Lord? Cleanse us, purify us, speak to us, for your servants are listening. Amen. So there are two pictures of prayer that I want to give us before uh, we turn to, toward, to, to our primary text for this morning. And the, there are two pictures that both encourage me but also convict me when I think about my own prayer life. The first comes from Exodus 33. At this point in history, Moses is the leader of the nation of Israel, and God has brought the people out of Egypt. He has made a covenant with them to be their God, and he's instructed them to build the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place where God's presence would dwell amongst the people and amongst their camp. And Exodus 33 tells us that whenever Moses would go into the tent of meeting, the people would stand outside their own tents and bow down and worship as they saw the pillar, the, the presence of God come down like a pillar of cloud. And then verse 11 says this, The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with a friend. Just as a man speaks with a friend. Moses is not the only person whose relationship with God is, is described this way. Even before this, in Genesis, Abraham is called 
the friend of God or a friend of God. So early in the story of the Bible, one of the ways to describe a relationship with God is through the picture of friendship. The second picture comes to us in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15 say this. For all those led by God's spirit are God's son. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The second picture is of an intimate relationship with a loving father. That's the best understanding of this Aramaic word for father that's used here. So two of the pictures that scripture gives us to tell us what our relationship with God could look like or should look like are friendship and intimacy with a father. Even Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, begins with our father. Yes, we are to hallow his name. We are to honor his name. We are to see his name as holy and set apart. But all of this flows out of our view of him as a loving father. So some questions to reflect on as we turn our attention to our text and the idea of prayer. Could you describe your relationship with God as a friendship? Does the word intimacy or contractual obligation better describe your relationship and your prayer life? Is God more like a loving father to you or more like an aloof, cold supervisor of sorts? And, And maybe most difficult of all, but maybe most telling of all, do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy God? However you answer those questions, if you desire to grow in Christ this year, to start to see your relationship with God more like a friendship, an intimacy with a loving Father, then your prayer life is a foundational aspect of that growth. And to help us think about prayer, I want to turn to Psalm 63. The Psalms have been called the prayer book of the Bible. Others have called it the Bible's school of prayer. So if if we want to know what prayer is and, and how we should pray, the Psalms are a great place to start. And let me be clear about my intentions because I know there's a list of things we could go into about prayer. I am not trying to to teach us everything about prayer this morning. I'm not even trying to teach us most things or even some really important things. I simply want to get us thinking about some aspects of prayer that I think are often misunderstood or overlooked, which I think are ultimately key to developing a rich, soul-nourishing prayer life. And as we look at David's words in Psalm 63, I want us to see three things. I want us to see the reality of prayer, the reward of prayer, and the refuge of prayer. Shout out to Andy. The reality of prayer, the reward of prayer, and the refuge of prayer. Let's begin by considering the reality of prayer. Read verse 1 with me. God, you are my God. Eagerly I seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Psalm 63 is a psalm that's attributed to King David. It was written at a time when he was hiding in the desert. Either during the time that he was the anointed king and Saul was trying to kill him, or during the time that his son Absalom had rebelled against him and caused him to flee to the wilderness yet again. Either way, it gives us the context of David's prayer here. 
He's in the Judean wilderness, a dry and desolate land without water, as he tells us. And he's hiding from those who would seek to do him harm. And as, as the Psalms led us in on David's heart here, I think he has much to teach us about prayer. The English Standard Version translates the first part of the verse this way, O oh God, you are my God. Eagerly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And here's what I want us to understand this morning. We may not be in a literal wilderness, hiding or fleeing those who would seek to do us harm. But David's words here are a picture of our own reality. You see, one of the biggest lies our culture and our world tells us is that we can live truly independently. That we don't need anything or anyone outside of ourselves. That we have what it takes to conquer each day with our own grit and strength and will. But David is telling us that that's not the case. This is King David, one of the most revered men in the Bible. He's renowned for his courage his bravery, his faith. Men followed him. Enemies feared him. Yet he tells God, I thirst for you. My body faints for you. He's saying that in the same way he needs water and food to survive, he needs the Lord. He needs his fellowship presence and encouragement like he needs basic nourishment. This is our own reality too. You may have all of your physical needs met right now. You may not lack any comfort in life. But today you woke up in need. You may have only felt your physical hunger until you ate breakfast. But underneath your soul was hungering for the Lord. To be connected to him. To be at rest in his presence. To be fed by his word. Every one of us as created creatures, is much more complex than just a bag of bones, muscles, and tissue. We are both physical and spiritual beings in the same way that we need food and water and oxygen for physical renewal in life. We need God, his fellowship, his connection for spiritual renewal in life. Now think about what a different perspective that is than how most of us or some of us think about our faith. Our faith is just something we do. It's, part of, it's just one part of our Twitter or Instagram bio. It's a compartment of our life that we open up on Sunday mornings or maybe at City Group or maybe every once in a while when we spend time with Jesus and then we put it away again when we're done. Faith is just one part of our life, but but David seems to be saying something different here. He seems to be saying that his relationship and faith in Yahweh was his life. A real necessity for him. Do we see the difference there? Isn't this just what Jesus is saying in John 15 when he tells us that to picture our life with him like he is the vine and roots of a plant in the ground and we are the branches that are connected to that vine. He says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me, because you can do nothing without me. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and withers. Can I tell you, I'm so thankful that Jesus knows we're really simple people. I can kind of picture it like this. I know Jesus is not sarcastic, but I am, so please forgive me. Uh, I can kind of picture it like this. He's just like, okay, how, how can I help these people understand how much they need me? Okay, okay, here's how much you need, you, need me. You need me like the branches on that plant over there need its vine and its roots. If those branches stay connected to the vine, then they'll produce the fruit and growth they're supposed to. But, but if they don't, they're not going to just make it sliding along. They're going to dry and wither and die. That's how much you need connection with me. Is that how we think about our relationships with Jesus? So what does this have to do with prayer? The reality of prayer is that we pray from a place of need, from a place of hunger and thirst. And if we don't realize this, if we don't begin our prayers from this posture and understanding, we will pray for the wrong things. David shows us what our real need is. God, you are my God. Eagerly I seek you. That is what we need. He is what we need more than anything. In prayer, we seek God and his fellowship. And the beautiful thing is, is he is not hidden from us, right? The book of James promises that if we draw close to him and draw near to him, he will draw near to us. That's a promise we can stand on when we go to him in prayer. And let me just do one sidebar before we move to our next point. Okay, sidebar. At City Life, the word and prayer are inseparable for us. I'm trying to steer clear of the word and, and touch it on the Bible because that's Andy's task next week. But really, you can't separate these two subjects. The Bible is where God speaks to us and prayer is where we speak to him. So when I say that prayer is where we seek him, what I really mean is that we seek him in prayer through the word. If we focus on one to the neglect of the other, we put ourselves in a dangerous place. If we focus on the word to the neglect of prayer, we're in danger of being puffed up with knowledge with no real substance underneath. If we focus on prayer to the neglect of being in the scriptures, then we risk being led to and fro by every thought or feeling and viewing each one like an infallible word from God. So we hold word and prayer together. Dane Ortland puts it this way, the gospel connects us, comes to us in the scriptures, and in prayer we receive and enjoy it. Put differently, to connect prayer with scripture reading is simply to acknowledge that God is a real person with whom believers have an actual moment-by-moment -moment relationship. The Bible is God speaking to us, and prayer is our speaking to him. Sidebar over. So again, the reality of prayer is that we pray from a place of need, real need, and a need that only God can meet. A deep prayer life begins with this understanding. That leads us to the reward of prayer. Look at verses 2 through 5 with me. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name I will lift my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth 
will praise you with joyful lips. David moves from his place of need, from his hunger and his thirst to remembering the fellowship of the Lord that he has experienced in the past. You can't see it as clearly in the Christian standard, but but really that verse is in the past tense. The first verse, verse 2, begins in the past tense. The ESV translates it this way. So I have so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. While praying in the wilderness, far from maybe Jerusalem, depending on the time that, that, that he was uh, in right now, and the tabernacle, David is reminding himself of a genuine, powerful experience of fellowship that he has had with the Lord in the past. He was reminding himself of this experience with God because you can imagine that at least part of his hunger and thirst in verse 1 was that he was not feeling that connection in the moment. You see, a lot of our prayer life should be reminding and remembering. We are forgetful, fickle people. So a lot of our time in prayer should be reminding ourselves of who God is. And what he's done for us in our lives. Look what happens when David does this. He is moved to say, because of your steadfast or covenant love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David's prayerful remembering causes him to worship God for his faithful love that he has shown towards him. Your love is better than life. We could meditate on that phrase all day, like a cow chewing cud. We could not get to the bottom of that if we chewed on it. And I just ask you, is that your view of God's love this morning? If not, can I encourage you to spend some significant time in prayer, remembering who God is and what he's done for you? A lot of prayer is remembering. David's worship continues into verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift my hands. Now listen, don't, don't forget David's prayer or David's context and situation when he's praying this. He is in the desert, probably hiding out in a cave, trying to escape those who want to kill him. If I was him, I don't know that my prayers would look like this. David doesn't even know how long he will live. He doesn't know if he'll ever actually sit on the throne again or be in his rightful place again. But still he worships God. Still he praises his name. Still he seeks him in prayer. How can this be? Because David knows what his real need is. He knows what the real reward of life is. Look at verses 5 and 6. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. The first part of this verse can be translated, my soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. There's supposed to be a visual here, people, and it ain't kale, okay? Fat and rich food. This is a statement of confidence, 
of assurance for David. David, Despite his current circumstances, despite his current hunger and thirst, despite the fact that the night watches are the most vulnerable part of the day, David believes confidently that as he seeks God in prayer, as he thinks upon him upon his bed, that God will satisfy him with himself. Can I tell you that Christians have a superpower? We do. We have a secret weapon that we can access at any time that that no one can destroy and no one can get to even if they try. What is it? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the truth that real satisfaction, true soul satisfaction can come from God alone. That's the secret ingredient to abundant life. Not money, not stuff, not comfort, not people, not fame, not security, but God himself and God alone can truly satisfy us. How is this a superpower, a secret weapon? Think about it. Because David knew that God was his real need, that he alone could satisfy him, he could praise him in the wilderness and in the midst of his life being in danger. He could be truly satisfied and he didn't need a throne or safety to find it. This is how martyrs throughout church history have gone to their end with smiles on their face and singing hymns. This is how our brothers and sisters in the underground church in Asia and the Middle East and elsewhere around the world can still praise God with joy in the face of oppressive governments. Because they know that his steadfast love is better than life. And they know that as they eagerly seek God, he will satisfy them. Think about how significant this truth is for each of us, no matter our circumstances. This means that the stay-at-home mom, in the midst of chaos and snotty noses and a messy home, can find true satisfaction. This means that that a person who, who is in a job that feels like a dead end that they just despise can be truly satisfied. It means if you find yourself in an unexpected health crisis or sickness, you can access a satisfaction that your failing body can't touch. Because of this truth, we can praise God in the worst of circumstances. So God himself is the reward of prayer. But, but we so often miss him, don't we? I was struck to the heart by Pastor John Stark's comments on this psalm. He says this, all of us keep things in our lives that dampen our hunger for God. So we never feel the deep hunger pangs of our soul. We are always full, but never satisfied. Always full, but never satisfied. And if that doesn't describe so many of our lives... We can't recognize our soul's hunger for God or the thirsting for fellowship because we stuff our lives full of stuff, of entertainment, of media, of pleasure, of drink, thinking that that's what we are really longing for. See, we pray to receive certain things, certain relationships, certain circumstances, because if we could just have those things, if we could just have that, then we could be satisfied. Always full, but never satisfied. What things in your life dampened 
your hunger for God in 2022? How might you order your life in 2023 to keep yourself aware of your hunger for him? How might you remind yourself that he alone satisfies? One suggestion might be to regularly practice fasting alongside praying in your life. You can start this really small. It might just be one meal one day a week. But why do we do this? We do this because as we start to feel those hunger pangs, we can pray things like this. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or, or as I start to feel the hunger because I, I fasted from lunch, I say, Jesus, you are the bread of life. And I know that no one who comes to you will ever be hungry or thirsty again. Or maybe simply, Lord, I feel it right now, but, but I hunger and I thirst for you alone. God is the reward of prayer. When we eagerly seek him, we can be confident that he will satisfy us truly. He is the treasure. Finally, let's consider the refuge of prayer. Verses 7 and 8 read this way. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. See, David knows that real safety, real security, real help are found in the shadow of God's wings. The picture here is of a mother bird putting her wing over her babies to nurture, to protect, to provide, to train them. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Listen, God will not force us under his wings, even though he knows it's the best place for us, even though it's the only real place of help and safety. No, we place ourselves under his wings as we surrender and submit to him. As we in prayer humble ourselves before him, acknowledging our need for help and ask for it. The refuge of prayer is daily, moment by moment, surrender to God. There is truth in that cliche phrase, let go and let God. You see, David knew that God's right hand was what was truly upholding his life. The only reason David had been anointed king was because God had willed it so. The reason David was safe from Saul or Absalom was not because he was good at hiding, it's because God's right hand was protecting him, providing for him, and sustaining him. So David's only role was, as verse 8 says, to follow close to God. Or, as one says, my soul clings to you. What if your one resolution or goal in 2023 was to follow close to God? What if it was to have your soul cling to God more and more each day this year? What might God do inside of us if that was our mindset? What might he transform? So what does it look like to follow close to God in prayer? There's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's by a monk named Brother Lawrence who lived in France in the 1600s. 
Brother Lawrence was well known for the joy and peace that he lived with, even when he was doing trivial tasks like making food or washing dishes in the monastery. Many people came to him or wrote to him, what's the secret? I mean, how, how do you do it? What's the secret to your joy? Brother Lawrence explained his secret this way. I make it my business only to persevere in his holy presence. That's falling close to God. Only to persevere in his holy presence. Wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I refer to as an actual presence of God. Or to put it another way, a habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. Doesn't that sound a lot like praying without ceasing? A habitual, silent, secret conversation with God. Here's the reality. If you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you permanently. You don't have to go looking for God's presence. Like David, you don't have to long to be back close to the tabernacle. Again, God's tabernacle is you. God tabernacles in you. But Paul says this in Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. As Christians, we always live by the Spirit. But we don't always keep in step with the Spirit. As I mentioned before, we dampen our hunger for God, our longing for Him with all sorts of things. So one of the biggest roles that our prayer life plays in our life is to reorient ourselves to God's presence with us is to remind ourselves and make ourselves aware of the truth that he is with us that he is enough and that he alone truly satisfies the refuge of prayer is God's already presence with us This is what it means to practice the presence of God. And I believe this is what it means to follow close to God as David prays in verse 8. I began this sermon with two pictures of prayer. One was a picture of friendship. And the other was the picture of intimate relationship with a loving father. I believe that David experienced and enjoyed both of these pictures with Yahweh and his relationship with him. I think that's why he eagerly sought him in his hunger and thirst. I think that's why he could say his steadfast love was better than life. I think that's why he could say, you satisfy me with rich food, even when he was in the wilderness fleeing those who sought to harm him. And I believe this is the kind of relationship that we can have and cultivate through a deep prayer life that is rooted in the word and who God is. No one has taught me more about prayer in my life than Tom Toomer. Tom was the director of the Navigators when I was at the University of Arkansas. Tom was weird for a freshman in college to be around, uh, but in the best kind of way. Tom was the kind of guy that in the middle of a conversation, when there was all kinds of people around, he would just start praying with his eyes open. And And he'd pray something like, yeah, Father, we we just want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, you're so with us right now in this moment. And as a freshman, I would have an awkward sweat going. 
And I'd be going, what am I supposed to do right now? Can anybody hear him? Why is he praying right now? Should I pray? Should I close my eyes? Should I join in? But one of the most impactful moments and memories of Tom I have is one I've probably told before. We were hiking and doing some rock climbing on a small island in, on a, in the middle of a lake in Arkansas. I think, the, I think the island mountain is called Sugarloaf Mountain. I know that there are different Sugarloaf Mountains, but this one is maybe not as a mountain. But we were climbing, and we were free climbing on a rock face, and I was standing below Tom. And I vividly remember that he was looking for his next handhold and having trouble finding it. And I remember him saying out loud, Father, would you help me figure out where to place my hand next? I'm having a little trouble. And after he found that handhold, he said, thank you, Father. I'm like, what? What is going on? And you might think that's silly. You might even think that's a dumb thing to pray. I mean, people are starving to handhold. Come on. But it struck me. And it stayed with me in the best kind of way. Because the, the, the clear thought that I had was this guy actually believed, God is, believes that God is present with him in this moment. Tom actually believes that God is his friend. He, he actually believes that God cares about his life even down to the details of where his next handhold is on a rock climb. I, I want a relationship with God like that. I, I don't want a compartment that I just take out every once in a while because it looks good on a Twitter bio or whatever it might be or because it's what I'm supposed to do. I, I want to know God like Tom knows God. I want to ask God for my next handhold. And I think that's what it means to follow close to God, to cling to him. And I want that kind of relationship with him. Don't you? I want that kind of friendship with him. I want that kind of prayer life with him in 2023. And if we want that, I think it starts with the reality of prayer, that we begin at a place of need, of hunger, and thirst. And I think it comes from understanding that God himself is the reward of prayer, the only one that can truly satisfy us. And finally, it comes from seeking the refuge of prayer, which is the already presence of God in our lives. May each of us grow in deep friendship and in intimacy with God this year as we eagerly seek him in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thanks for men like Tom who have taught me more about prayer than any book could. Thank you that we have access to you because Jesus died on the cross. He opened the curtain. He went into the Holy of Holies before us to make a way for us to have direct relationship with him, with you. God, we want to be people who follow close to you this year. We want to eagerly seek you. Lord, we want to admit that we hunger and we thirst for you, Lord, and would you, Lord, this year in 2023, maybe for the first time ever in some of our lives, satisfy us 
as with rich food. Show us, Lord, that Jesus alone can truly satisfy. We love you. God, we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.